that's fake. You don't actually love yourself if you don't know yourself. Say that again. (laughs) You don't actually love yourself if you don't know yourself. And you have to start with knowing exactly who you are so that you can like yourself. And through liking yourself, you love yourself. You that bitch. (laughs) You're awesome. I love you. Oh, you're hot too. Love that. You know, like definitely do that. However, it's more than just that. You know, it's again, the little things. Are you taking care of yourself? Like, I don't think before I had worked with that coach, I'd ever actually thought about what self-love meant. I don't need you to tell me that I'm great. Believe me, I love compliments. I'm a Leo, right? I Compliments are great, but I don't need them. They're always an added bonus. They're, they're not even icing on the cake. They're sprinkles on the cake. I got a complete cake here. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Primal Curiosity. In this episode, I interview my friend, Katie Hoogan. Katie and I actually met through jujitsu. She and I trained at the same location under John Donaher at Roca with Team New Wave. In this episode, we talk all about Katie's own personal story, about how she went from being an engineer to working in engineering adjacent sales to finally somehow ending up as an empowerment coach and a jiu-jitsu athlete and running her own jiu-jitsu seminars. We also get into how an early heartbreak played a pivotal role in her entire journey throughout this entire thing. So without further ado, allow me to introduce to you, Katie Hooven. Katie. Tech. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. To start things off, give us the abridged version of who you are and what you do now. I'm Katie Hooven. Um, in short, I am a professional jiu-jitsu athlete and an empowerment coach. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> short, sweet, to the point. That's what we're here for. So... What's the origin story on that one? How did you end up becoming an empowerment coach? So it all started, like my personal development journey started after a traumatic breakup. And a lot of people's stories start there. They they go through something traumatic. They're in a place of despair, desperation, and they're trying, you, you have two choices. You either pull yourself out of that pit of despair through things like personal development or you stay there until you don't get out. Like it's, you're stuck. So I took the approach of, I hate feeling this way and I'm going to make a change. I was not content just accepting how I was feeling. So um, I dated a guy for like five years and as a lot of young people think it's like, oh my God, this is the one and he's great. And we started dating, like I was, you know, going into college. I was, you know, in formative years of my life, still fairly young. And I was just like, oh my gosh, yeah. Like convinced this was my person. And he was telling me all of those things as well. Um, in hindsight, definitely was not the healthiest relationship, <laughs> but um kind of out of nowhere after I finished my undergrad career, he broke up with me. It was literally like the day after graduation or something. Congratulations. Pretty much. I was like, oh my God. Like my whole world just got completely shaken up. And 
after that, I mean, I'll spare you all of the the gross details and um, suffice it to say that I was strung along for like a year and a half after that. It was back and forth between, oh my God, I want you back. You're amazing. That was the worst mistake of my life. And, oh, well, like this other girl's here. Um, I figured out he cheated on me with this girl. And he's like, no, but I want you, not her. And it was, it was a mind fuck just for a year and a half. And I was in this state of mind for all that time because I was still convinced he was this perfect person for me. It's like, well, I want him back. How do I get him back? How do I be the person he wants me to be, you know, rather than how do I become who I want to be? It was so much of my, my thoughts and time with him. I was just focused on being who I was supposed to be in his eyes and the best person for him. So, I mean, that left me in a couple of places. One, how do I get him back? Um, how do I be better for him? And um, I, you know, I started meditating because I was an overthinker and I thought too much. And how do I get control over my my thoughts so that I'm not a burden to him in the way he was making me feel like I was. So I um, I started meditating and I had no idea what I was doing. And honestly, it was meditation that it really changed my life and kind of catapulted the whole journey because it it just led me down this path. And it was so beneficial to me at the time. I was feeling really anxious and confused and uncomfortable. And it helped me become more patient and more aware and present. Um, I used to overthink everything and it just helped me like accept and not need to have a ton of control over what was going on. And shortly after that, a friend of mine who at the time was a like a mentor figure to me. He knew like what I was experiencing and going through and how shitty I was feeling all the time. And he's like, hey, you should read this book. I think it would help. And this book is like, it really started everything for me. And this What's was- the book? It's The Secret. Mm-hmm. So anybody who's familiar with law of attraction, manifestation, you've definitely heard of The Secret. And- it was my introduction to the law of attraction and getting the things that you want and becoming the energy that you want to attract. And I had never heard of anything like that before. And I was like, oh my God, this is how I'm going to get him back. Spoiler alert, I didn't get him back. (laughs) (laughs) And it was the best thing that could have happened. But, you know, that really just kind of cracked the door open for me. And it was just a a platform off of which I jumped into learning more about the law of attraction and what it means to raise your vibration and have a high frequency and how things like meditation and the law of attraction go hand in hand. And I was reading book after book after book and listening to podcasts and just taking it all in because I was at rock bottom in my life. I was so unhappy. I was 
drinking to numb my feelings because I didn't want to feel them. Um, I was just being like dragged along by this guy who was supposed to love me. And I was like, I need to do something. So that's what I invested all my time into. And from there, um, through divine intervention, I saw like an Instagram ad or something or a post or whatever it was at the time. And this is, this is like 2017 at this point. And I saw an, just like a little advertisement for a five-day raise your vibration challenge. And I was like, I need to raise my vibration. I feel like shit. <laughs> Here's my information. I'm doing this. And I did. And it was like a five-day thing. And it was led by um, two kundalini yoga teachers. They're based in LA. So it was all online. And it was, hey, here's like raising your vibration 101. And here's how you do it with things like grounding and eating good food and kundalini yoga and everything. And I just jumped head first. I was literally willing to try anything. And I loved it so much. And I loved them so much. They actually became my kundalini yoga teachers. And I still do yoga with them to this day. So that was another thing that really changed everything for me. And a um, couple months later, these two women, um, their company is called Elevate the Globe. Um, they launched a mastermind. And this mastermind was um, based in kundalini yoga practices. And then you have like the support and the input and like calls and stuff. And I was like, take all my money. I don't know what to do. I'm... I'm still in this pit of despair and I'm trying to get out. Willing to do anything to get out from where you currently are at that time. Pretty much. Yeah. It was like, okay, like felt good in your raise your vibration challenge. Like what everything else I'm doing isn't working. Like I need, I need more guidance. I need more help. You're offering this. I'm in. I didn't even like really care how much it costed. I was like, I'm in. Cause I just, I felt so like hopeless and desperate. Um, so I jumped in and it was like a small group format. And we, as part of this mastermind, we did a Kundalini yoga set every single morning. And I had like never really done Kundalini before. And the thing about Kundalini, I love it. It's really weird. <laughs> what kind of weird are we talking? <laughs> so, okay. So Kundalini is it's one of the ancient forms of yoga. And if you're thinking of yoga right now and an image pops into your head, I guarantee it's not Kundalini. <laughs> it's um, different. It's different. <laughs> kundalini is really heavily based in breath work. So your breath mm. comes first. Um, and then there's other um, things that you add on on top of that. So your first layer breath always comes first. And then there'll be different positions um, for different meditations or parts of the yoga set. And we call them mudras. I'm sure in other forms of yoga, they call it that as well. Um, and some of the mudras are like easy and it's just like, hey, like your fingertips are touching and all, everything is significant. It's, it's like based in um, 
like similar concepts to acupuncture and acupressure. So you're tapping like, or you're holding certain parts, certain fingers for certain reasons. So some are like really simple and easy and others it's like, I'm moving my hands and I'm doing all this (laughs) weird shit. Um, And in Kundalini, you hold positions longer than you typically would. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, cat-cow, very well-known yoga position. Uh, In a lot of yogas, you do it like slowly and you're feeling into it and it's relaxing and nice. Kundalini, you go fast. You're like like whipping your head back and forth. Like it kind of feels silly. There's a lot of things that you do that, that feel silly or like you're holding a particular eye gaze. So your eyes are closed, but you might be looking up to your third eye point in between your eyebrows mm-hmm. or you're looking down to your nose point. And all of this has reason. And to be honest, I haven't, this isn't like me at all either, but I haven't looked into like, why do we do X, Y, Z? What, why exactly are we holding this particular finger or looking in this particular spot? And it's because I just jumped in and tried it and it worked. Mm, you found immediate success. Pretty much. Like the thing about Kundalini is that it it moves the energy through your body very efficiently. It's like a somatic practice. Mm. Um, somatic meaning of the body. So with the combination of the breath work and acupressure points, if you've ever heard of um, emotional freedom technique or tapping. Um, I've heard of tapping, not the other one. Okay. They're the same thing. Um, essentially, you're you know talking through a particular issue of some sort and you're tapping different spots on your your face and your body and you know the top of your head and your temple and here like all these things and there's there those are acupressure points right they're they're little energetic buttons in your body basically um so when you're doing the tapping that helps you move energy through your body is that like releasing trauma that's sort of been stuck in the body yeah and so it's built up a lot of energy there you you Maybe you were really anxious at one point and some traumatic event happened to you. So your shoulders lock up and they seize and whatever else emotion you felt got trapped somewhere else in your body. And so you're releasing it through these motions and tapping techniques. Yeah, exactly. And like the body does remember all of these things. The body keeps the score. That's the book. Um, but it's true. Your body holds on to these things and it's not necessarily enough to just talk about it. it. It's talking about it. Great. Therapy. Great. You know, work through your stuff, be seen, admit to yourself, admit to others, all of that really great. But to really get those breakthroughs and to really move through it, that somatic piece is really important. And there's there's things that are in your body that you might not even remember. Like your mind might be blocking them off because they were so traumatic or it happened when you were 12. So you're not thinking about it, but the body does remember those things. And even if your mind doesn't necessarily remember exactly what that is, you can get to that energy and release it through through practices like this, like the breath work, the kundalini tapping and things like that. Um, but like the the tapping and like 
energetic centers and stuff in Kundalini that you're either you're you're holding the pressure point or whatever, like very similar concepts, but different ways to use them. And I use both now. Um, but Kundalini came first for me. And it was so interesting because I like we we did these yoga sets every single morning. And I was working in Manhattan at the time. And I would get up at like 5 a.m. And I would do this 45-minute yoga set before getting on the train to go to work. And I did it every single day. Um, and in Kundalini, it's not like, oh, each day you do something different. You practice a particular meditation or yoga class um, consistently day after day. And your practice gets deeper and deeper. And the more you do it, the more consistently you do it, the deeper you go with that particular thing. So it's very common in Kundalini for like the hardcore practitioners, like 40 days to do a meditation, like very common. But the ones that are like getting yoga teacher trainings or they're like really into this stuff, they'll do it for 90 days, 120 days, a thousand days, same thing every day. Damn. So it's focused on depth. Yes. Of the meditation, like one specific thing, not breadth. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's what we did. We did 40 days of one yoga set and then 40 days of the next. And I mean, this, hap this still happens to me to this day where I will do a Kundalini yoga class and like in the middle, I just start feeling emotion coming up. Like I feel that energy wanting to be released. I feel that emotion that's been stuck. And sometimes I'll know what it is. It'll make sense to me or I'll get an intuitive hit. I'll be like, oh yeah, like it's definitely that. And sometimes I have no idea what it is. And I'm just like, well, it's got to come out. And it helps you like have a good relationship with those emotions where it's accepting that they're coming up and then allowing yourself to have the space to actually release them and just sob and just sob it out and cry and boom, and you release it and then it's gone and then you're lighter. Um, so that happened to me when I was doing this master mastermind back in 2017. I started doing it and I'd be like, oh my God, I'm crying. Like, what is this? What What is going on? And fortunately, I had the support of the group and the support of um, Elevate the Globe and they were like, yeah, this is what this is. This is totally normal. You're okay. You're fine. The point is to encounter the trauma that's been stuck somatically in your body. And the point is to sob like you're doing. Exactly. And like, again, I just jumped in. I had no idea what I was getting into. I was just like, okay, here I am. Um, and also because it moves so much energy through your body, if you are not used to doing that. If you like don't ramp up into it or something, you can actually get physically sick. I imagine it's probably really exhausting to suddenly process on a somatic level, all the trauma that you've held locked up for most people, probably however long they've lived their entire life up until that point. Now, all of a sudden you're processing it, not just on a psychological level, but on a physiological level, I can absolutely see how pushing all those stress hormones through your body, finally releasing them could leave you feeling like a husk afterwards. That and and also it was like the, not only me, but a couple of the other people, like every, when we started the new yoga sets, like we, we got physically sick, like we had a cold 
Everyone. Uh, pretty much. Wow. We were like, are you guys sick? Cause I'm sick. Like I don't feel great this week. And it's totally normal. It's kind of like when you clean out a closet, you have to pull all the shit out first and it's going to look a mess and everything's going to be all over the place. And then you purge and you let it, you get rid of things, you keep things, and then you put it back in the closet and it's all neat and organized. The same thing kind of happens with your emotions. So you have to expect that things are going to get messy, whether that's emotionally and you're crying and you're letting it out or, hey, you get sick because now all the stress hormones are being pushed through your body and or like your nervous system is taxed. And when your nervous system is taxed and exhausted, it now doesn't communicate the same way with the rest of your body. And then everything else doesn't know, oh, when am I supposed to do what? And you do start to get sick. It affects your immune system. So I mean, to take on, to process more stress is to at least temporarily take on that stress. And it's no mystery that when we're more stressed and fatigued, we are more likely to get sick. So it does make sense from that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just glad that I like wasn't going through it alone because I would have been so confused. Sitting alone at home, all of a sudden you're doing a kundalini practice for 40 days and you're like, why am I sobbing uncontrollably? Yeah. Why am I sick? I can see how having a support group is very helpful in that situation. I totally needed it. I was like, um, literally I'm sick and I don't know what to do or what's going on or I'm feeling this coming up or there'll be like... We would do like some like live meditations and stuff um, at various points through this three-month mastermind. And there'd be like some weird things happen to, happening to me during meditation. Like psychedelic <laughs> kind of weird or yeah. what kind of weird are we talking? <laughs> yeah. And at the time, like I didn't understand, like I was still relatively new to meditation and I like dove into this really deep meditation practice um, with the Kundalini. And it was just like... I would, and I mean, this still happens to me all the time to this day, but I'd like get visions or I would see certain colors or I'd see words or I would just like get messages. What kind of visions would you see? I can't remember like specifically um, at that time, but I've like, I, I mean, I've seen like, like words come up, you know, and my eyes are completely closed. Like, and it's just like, oh, just like see words or I'm seeing like, I remember at one point um, I was like seeing something that reminded me of like ancient Egypt or something or like Egyptian text or scrolls or stone or, or something. And like there was a word written there specifically for me. So is this... How vivid are these visions and, and things that and colors and words? Is it, you know how sometimes when you're sort of falling asleep, you almost catch yourself dreaming and you have like a vague impression of the images and the people in that dream? Is it like that or is it stronger? Is it more vivid than that? It depends. Um, it depends on like how deep you are in a particular practice. Also how developed your intuition is. Um. And just how, like how present you are. You know, if there's a day where I'm really distracted and it's hard for me um, to get in the pocket, so to speak, it's one of my, one of my coaches calls it like when you're in that meditation pocket and it's like, 
thoughtless and you're just like, you're in the zone. Sometimes it's really hard to get there. Um, if it's a day like that, like I'm probably not going to get any messages or visions or something like that. Um, but I've definitely had like full blown psychedelic experiences. Really like <laughs> ayahuasca level where you've got closed eyes, but you see full on images. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say it's like, I mean, I've never done ayahuasca. Um, but you know, it's, I would say it's like not as long as like ayahuasca, because the thing with the meditation is that you have full control. If you're uncomfortable and you want to like step out of it, you can. Um, and you have to, cause there's, there's no, there's no substance like affecting the brain. Like you're the one in the driver's seat. You're so, the catalyst. Yeah. So if you get a little bit unfocused, like the, the imagery can go away. Interesting. So if you start, so back to like when this happened to me in the mastermind, I did what is called astral traveling or astral projecting where like my body was here, but like I wasn't. Like I, I didn't feel connected to it. And I like felt this like weird spinning and I was like seeing myself in the cosmos, like galactic shit. And I was like, what the fuck was that? And they're like, oh, you were just astral projecting. It's fine. I was like, it is? Just a casual <laughs> spiritual experience where your soul left your body and went on a journey through the entire cosmos. Yeah, it happens to everyone. No biggie. I was like, okay, I guess this means I'm powerful. I'll own that. <laughs> <laughs> My soul is strong as fuck. <laughs> Look at what I did. <laughs> Went on a magic carpet ride throughout the entire universe. That's like pretty much what it felt like. And if I didn't have somebody telling me what the fuck that was, I would have been like, it was honestly like, it was jarring. Enough to make one question their own sanity if they're by themselves. A hundred percent. Like, I'm glad that particular meditation, I was like on a live call with them because afterwards I was like, yo bitches, what was that? <laughs> 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 Definitely sounds like DMT and ayahuasca, by the way. Yeah, well, I've never done either, so I can't compare. Neither have I, but it sounds <laughs> like what I've heard. Yeah, yeah. And what's very interesting is during that particular meditation, a couple of the other people that were on that live call had the same experience. They also astral projected. Whoa. And I don't know if that's like that particular meditation, like, normally has that effect or if it was like all of us like feeding off of some collective energy and we were I don't know what it was did any of you see the other no in, okay so it wasn't a fully shared experience no it wasn't a fully shared experience it was just like we all well of the people who did not not everybody did the astral projection but a handful of us did and we were like whoa and now, so I was like, what is this? This is uncomfortable. Am I safe? I don't know what's happening. You know, I grew up Catholic. I went to Catholic school. So I didn't like explore like spiritual stuff. I went to mass like every Friday in Catholic school up until high school. Like it was very religious and... You didn't astral project when you got communion? 
No. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> no, but I think there's always part of me that was hoping for something. <laughs> something special to happen, right? <laughs> It's all special. Anyway. Uh, Wait, quick, quick side note on that. Cause I went to Catholic school too. Yeah. I remember hearing, I don't remember what you call them, but it was the people that would help administer communion. And they were talking about administering the wine, the blood of Christ. And one of them, so what they would do is since it's blessed, it's actually the blood of Christ. Now you don't drink all of it. Can't just store that. You got to drink it. So one of them was talking about how sometimes they would finish the chalice and all of a sudden their body would become hot and they were feeling the spirit of like the fire of the Holy Spirit. And at the time I'm little, I'm like, oh yeah, I want to feel the fire of the Holy Spirit. And then I grow up and I get older, I drink wine. I'm like, oh, so you're just getting a little buzzed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but I'm, back sure, to I'm the... sure they would have loved being like, no, I'm just, it's the Holy Spirit working through me. <laughs> How much wine did you, how much was left in the cup? How much was that? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But back to the astral projection. Yeah. Oh, well, now I'm like, when it happens to me, I'm like, oh, I know what this is and I'm okay. And I can handle it. But it was like, I needed that support and I needed that guidance. So anywho, I still practice Kundalini to this day. It really changed my life in a lot of ways. And it's a tool that it's literally part of my daily routine. I do like a Kundalini meditation every morning probably. And it became a tool because there's so many different meditations and breath works and stuff. Like, yeah, breath work is a hot buzzword and it's amazing. Do breath work. Everybody should. It's fucking fantastic. Most people only know like a couple you know, the, the main ones and they're really powerful and yes, use them. But like with these, I don't, I've like never done the same breath work twice in a meditation. Like it's, it's so specific to whatever the theme of the meditation is. Um, but there was one that just as a side note, it helped me when I was in Manhattan and I was overwhelmed. I grew up in middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. You can't even see my neighbor's houses. Right. And then I go, to working in Manhattan at this huge engineering and architecture firm after grad school. And it was just overwhelming and a lot. And I'm like walking through this sea of people feeling more alone than I've ever felt in my life. And I would do a particular breath work that just like helped me stay present and, and grounded. And it was just a, like a quick in and out through the nose, but it was like, oh, wow, this is powerful. Like there's so much power in the breath. What are some of the other benefits? What are some of the other benefits that you notice from doing the Kundalini yoga exercise and all the other breathwork exercises? Is it that you feel you're more capable of handling stress? You're more present in the moment. What are go into detail about the benefits that you feel. What, what's a day look like where you do it versus a day that you don't, if, if you have missed a day? I have missed a day. I'm a human. I'm not perfect. And we shouldn't expect that of ourselves. Um, we, can, we need to give ourselves a little bit of grace. And there are time periods where I'm like, I'm doing a ton of kundalini because I just feel called to do it a lot. And there's other times where I just want to like sit in a, in a quiet meditation and I want to do like my own 
visualization or something, or I just want to like sit there and be open. You ebb and flow. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, just like you would working out your body. You know, you can't go to the gym and lift super duper heavy, heavy every day. Um, you need to mix it up and change it. And sometimes you might be feeling like a lot of cardio. So you do a lot of cardio for a month, but then you switch it back up and you go back into your strength training. Like It's the same for me with meditation. Um, so just meditation in general, it doesn't have to specifically be kundalini, but meditation, as I had mentioned, it, it makes me feel so much more present and it makes me feel like water where I'm flowing and I'm moving. And if there's something in the way, rather than trying to bust through it and be like, no, this is how it was supposed to be. And I'm going to make it go exactly how it was supposed to be. Just accept like, oh, well, there's a big boulder there. Why don't I just move around it? And it, it just makes me feel just so much more fluid rather than rigid, you know, like a tree swaying in the wind. It's still really strong, but if it doesn't move with the wind, if it just stays rigid, it's going to fall over. So we have to be more like that. And meditation has helped me with that a lot. Like you sit there and you're very, you're present with yourself. You're actually taking time for yourself, which is something I've never been that good at. Um, as somebody who's an overachiever, just did literally everything. It's hard to slow down and give time for yourself, especially if you're somebody who cares a lot for other people or you're in a caretaking role of some sort. Like just taking 10 minutes for yourself can be enough and can be powerful. Um, so there's that benefit, just like the patience with yourself and others, becoming a better listener, being more focused, um, being able to feel my own energy and kind of harness it in the way that I want to for a particular thing that I'm doing, you know, like, oh, I'm feeling a little bit nervous. Okay, well, I'm going to do like a really quick, like two, three minute meditation to get that, to, to alchemize that energy or change that into something else or get rid of it in general. So it's, it's really powerful in a lot of ways. It's a time expander as well, um, which is counterintuitive because it's like, um, I have so much to do. What do you mean I need to sit here for 10 minutes and meditate? But the thing that happens when we meditate is that we kind of, we bring our focus back. When we have 16 things going on at once, our focus is split. Our attention is split. So our brain is like, where, what, what, this and that and that and we're kind of all over the place but if you sit down it's like if you have a desk that's covered in papers and you're trying to do something with all those papers but you don't even know where they are and what's going on you're like oh I'll write something down here really quick and then I'm gonna write something down here really quick if you take two minutes and organize those papers and you prioritize them and then you go through them you're gonna get things accomplished more quickly than if you try to work with those scattered papers. So it's the same in our in our minds. So you sit there and you focus yourself and then your tasks that you have to do become easier. It's like you've expanded time and you can get more accomplished. So it's a little counterintuitive. Now, Kundalini specifically, I mean, 
aside from all that we've talked about, like addressing any sort of trauma, moving energy, getting things out, um, connecting to yourself. When you're doing these kundalini sets, whether this is a meditation or a yoga set, you're oftentimes, you, you end up in an uncomfortable position. And now this isn't always the case. There are some that are really soothing and like, oh, connect to your heart. And you're just like holding your hands on your heart. But there are some of them that's like your hands are like up in the air and you have to hold them up there for a particular amount of time. Oh, you don't mean just emotional labor. You mean <laughs> physically taxing. Yeah, it, definitely. Like some of the, the hardest ones for me to do are the ones where it's just like, okay, hold your hands out here at like 60 degrees and like face your palms together and like move them up and down while you're doing a particular breath work. Or like it's a lot going on, um, but somehow it all just like you, you get into that groove. So in a way it teaches you that like, even if you have a ton going on in your life, you can find a way to make everything work together and you can get through it. But through these more challenging poses or meditation, it's it's almost like a metaphor for life. You know, you're on your mat going through something hard and you're training yourself and your mind to be able to handle whatever the world throws at you. Well, I just sat with my arms up for 11 minutes this morning so I can do that annoying thing. It's like, again, teaching you patience and training your mind and body to understand and know that you're more capable than you think you are. Voluntarily exposing yourself to hard stuff and exposing yourself to adversity, I think has so much carryover to every other aspect of life. Absolutely. I mean, it's like us in jujitsu, like we do something hard every day. We get the shit being out of us every day and we keep showing up. So it's like, well, if I go do anything else today, it's not going to be as hard as that. Nothing is as hard as walking into Roka every day and knowing that I am going to be one of the premier human crash test dummies of the day. Very proud to do it. Very happy to do it. And yeah, it's fucking brutal some days. Yeah, but you still show up and it becomes like a challenge for yourself then too. Like how much can I handle when we do hard things and we put ourselves in these challenging circumstances, you really start to see what you're made of. I notice it every time I do a weight cut, weight cutting's hard. One of the hardest things that anyone could ever voluntarily do. Honestly, fuck that. However, there is a part of me that appreciates the focus and discipline that comes of it. And, you know, you're, you're weight cutting. You are in a caloric deficit. It's like significant caloric deficit. You're maybe you're water loading. So you're drinking a ton of water and then you're not drinking any water. And it's like, it's a mental battle. But every time I do it, I surprise myself with what my body is able to do under those circumstances. Yes, I'm tired. Yes, I'm miserable. No, I don't want to be there. Yes, I feel gassed when I'm training. However, that you like get the ability to access the depths of your 
power, whether that's, you know, your physical power or your mental power, like you're doing around and you're like trying to train hard, your body is so much more capable than you give it credit for. And you do have to go to a special place that we normally don't access through everyday activities when you do a hard weight cut. And the harder that weight cut, the deeper you have to go. It is almost like this primal aspect of ourselves that it connects us with because we're taking on, we're willingly starving ourselves or willingly dehydrating ourselves. Every survival mechanism in our brain is just flashed on full throttle and we willingly accept that that's going to continue until that weight has been cut. Exactly. And like the the mechanisms that we have developed as humans for survival are really amazing in moments like that. Like there were times where we didn't know when our next meal was going to be and we had to hunt for it and we were running away from bears and saber-toothed tigers and all of that. And that is still accessible. We can still use it to our advantage. It is still there. The problem is to go back to like meditation and everything. Um, as humans, we end up being in that high stress survival brainwave function way too often. And it's like, oh, there's a threat. I'm worried. I'm anxious. I'm frustrated. What's going on? Bitch, there's no saber-toothed tiger trying to get you. You can calm down. We over-exaggerate everything in our minds and thinks everything is the end of the world. And yes, there are moments like when we're weight cutting, like there, there are times when that's going to come up and that survival instinct is going to be important. But on a normal day-to-day basis, it's not. You don't need to access it. And the problem with staying in that heightened state for too long is that it means our body is now under stress for too long. Involuntary chronic stress, very different from willingly taking on immense adversity for a short window of time. Absolutely. And when we stay there, like that's when disease starts to happen. That's when sickness starts to happen. That's when all of our systems in our body can't communicate with each other. And the central nervous system is trying to communicate, but all the signals are coming in and nothing is organized. And it's like, oh, okay, maybe do this. I don't know. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Oh, shit. No, I'm sick. Uh, What do I do? Uh, Oh, I just got injured. Uh, Now what? You know, there's, there's so many bad things that happens when we are in stress all the time. And again, voluntary stress under pressure, fine. We can, doing, having stress in short doses, small doses, not a bad thing. I mean, it helps in competition. It helps if you are in a survival situation, you know, you got into a car accident or you're walking down a dark alley and you're, you need heightened senses and things like that. But you don't need it all the time. You don't, you don't need it every single day when you're at work and you're worried just about literally everything. And that is something that meditation really helps with because meditation literally chemically alters your brain and it gives you control over your brain waves. So when you are in that 
survival mode, your brain waves are really fast and the peaks, it's a lot. You want to be in a, a calmer brainwave state. And meditation, even just by closing your eyes for a couple minutes, you calm down the nervous system because our eyes are always taking in so much information constantly. I'm looking at you, sure, but my peripherals are taking everything in. Is there a threat? Is there something going on? Oh, I just saw something quick move. What was that? There's information that your brain is taking in constantly. So you just close your eyes. I believe it's something close to 30, 33% of our sensory cortex is devoted strictly to processing visual information. Yeah, that's wild. So if you can even just close your eyes for a moment and like intentionally not like, oh, I'm going to go to sleep because that's a different, sleep is great. Everybody get your sleep. Don't fuck around with not sleeping. But if you, if you sleep, you go into a different brainwave state. So if you sit there and you can meditate five minutes, close your eyes, you're going to calm yourself down, your nervous system down even just a little bit. And you can start to like step down the ladder and start to tone that down and get into just a calmer state all around. And the deeper you get into meditation, the the more you can access those like deeper brainwave functions. And that has a lot of really amazing properties for you, like to scratch the surface, get yourself out of fight or flight or freeze survival mode. Yeah, I can see how you were talking about before chronic stress, your system is dysregulated, your central nervous system may become somewhat dysregulated as well. I can see how that could be a very powerful way of regulating yourself and restoring order to the body on a physiological level on a neurological level as you said meditation literally changes the brain powerful super powerful and like you can use it to like help you heal in a lot of ways like it's just it's such a magnificent tool like i literally feel magical now that i know that like i i started meditating i started doing kundalini i like opened myself up to so many new ways of thinking like my relationship with spirituality until I finished grad school was Catholicism. And there's so much more. To, and I was only taught like what you're taught in school. Like, I feel like if I was taught how to pray the way I was taught to meditate, I would have had a deeper connection at a younger age because meditation and prayer are so similar and I treat them the same. Like, Sure, I don't practice Catholicism, but I have a very strong connection to God, the universe, source. Like I feel so much more connected now than I did when I was in Catholic school going to mass every Friday. And then also sometimes on the weekends, you know, like there's there's so much more to that connection than, you know, what we're classically taught in some cases. And for me, that's how it was. So I was just like opening myself up to so many new things and it, it became really powerful for me. And, and it was just like, oh, wow, like things are becoming easier. There might be something to this. And after, to go back uh, to the story, um, after I finished that mastermind, I continued to do Kundalini and I continued 
to learn about the law of attraction and manifestation. And I continued to read all these books and it was just so interesting to me. I just like couldn't get enough. Um, and it just led me down this path. And, um, you know, I feel like everything that I learned is so powerful. I want other people to know it too, um, which is, you know, why I am now a coach. Like there's so much more to life that you can access. And like, I want people to feel the way I feel because through all of these tools, through the meditation and these somatic tools and so many other things, but like, I feel like, I, like I'm accessing cheat codes. Seeing the matrix, seeing the code now and not just seeing the matrix. Yeah. That's every, I'm like, whoa, this literal magic, magic. I sound like I'm on drugs. Magic exists <laughs> and you can access it, you know, and it's, it's not just like a one-off time, like, oh, you do it once and like, oh my God, you're going to be able to have these cheat codes, you know? No, it's consistency. The same way it is at the gym. You have to be consistent with your workouts to see the results. Same thing with meditation. Same thing with these practices. Same thing with journaling. Another thing that was a really powerful tool for me always, but especially at that time in my life. So at this time when I was still feeling shaky with the whole ex-boyfriend thing and now working in Manhattan and, oh my God, there's so much going on. Something that helped me so much was gratitude. Gratitude is one of the most powerful energies you can tap into. And I made it a very deliberate practice. Every morning on the train, I would write down 10 things I was grateful for and why. And the why is important because you need to feel the feeling. It's not enough to say, hey, grateful for water. Like, yeah, I am. Let me tell you all the reasons why. Like, this is clean water. Oh my, I'm so blessed. There are people who don't have clean water. Look at that. And it, the more you practice the gratitude and you're consistent with it, the more you can access it, the more it becomes second nature, the more you see beauty in everything. And it's, it just opens things up. Um, so I'll, there, there's so many pieces to this that just all like fit together perfectly and play nicely together. And, you know, again, just open things up for you. Um, so it was like all of that stuff that really was the launching point for me. And since then I've worked with, you know, a couple other coaches and collected more tools. I actually worked with a relationship coach specifically. And was when you're working, when you went to that coach, was, were you still thinking, I want to get back with this guy? So you, so you went to that coach to try and get, still you're pursuing the ex that kicked off this entire thing. I was, I was, um, he, manipulation, <laughs> manipulation is real. <laughs> and I was like, still so convinced, like he's the one I'm going to get him back law of attraction. I can do it, whatever. And it's funny because I, I sat down, um, just like on a, like a quick intro call with this coach. Cause she's like, I want to see if this will be a good fit. Obviously like good coaches should do that. And I told her like this situation and I'm sure I cried on the call and whatever. 
And she's like, okay. She told me later, we're friends now. But she told me later, she's like, oh, I saw right through your bullshit. You were telling me you wanted him back. I knew that's not what was best for you. And I knew that once we did the things that we did, you were going to change your mind. And she was 100% right. I worked with her one-on-one for three months. Um, Really powerful to work with somebody one-on-one and like really get their eyes on your life. Like you get really quick transformation through that. And again, I was like, I'm willing to do whatever. I will do whatever you say because what I am doing is not working. And I'm so desperate. Ah. (laughs) So I did everything that she said. And by the end of those three months, I didn't want anything to do with that guy. Like I, I went in wanting him back. And the best thing that ever happened to me was I didn't get what I wanted. What were some, at what point through your journey with this coach, did you start to turn around? What were the things that you realized? What were the practices that you started doing? What, how did that change? Because I get the impression that this was a really strong desire, that there was like fusion between yourself and your identity and how badly you wanted to get back with this person. Yeah, it, it really comes down to self-love. And it was at the time, so this ex-boyfriend of mine, <laughs> he really degraded my self-worth and the value that I saw in myself. And I didn't, I didn't like believe that I was worthy of anything else. I didn't think there there was anything else that existed outside of that. I thought he was the best I could get. You know, I was in a way kind of brainwashed, you know, whether that was through the things he was saying to me or what I was saying to me. But, you know, he would do things like when we first started talking and stuff. And here's another piece of this relationship that's important is his dad owned the jujitsu gym that I first started training at. So Mm. there were these, these weird connections. So I started training there. We started dating a year later and then continued dating. And it was like jujitsu was tied to him. You know, jujitsu was through, through college. I wasn't like a serious athlete like I am now. When I was in college, I was, I was an academic. I was a double major in civil engineering and architecture. I was very focused on that. But jujitsu became this way of us being able to see each other through the week. And like, I had to go so that I could see him. You know, he had like all this control over me. Your lives were integrated on multiple levels. Yes. And like, he... He wasn't smart enough to go to the college that I went to. So he wasn't there, but he would, he would do everything else that he could to like, you know, still keep his like claws in. Like I wasn't able to go to parties there. I didn't, and I regret this to this day. This is like the one thing I wish I would have done in college that I didn't do. I never went to a college football game. Not one. Not one. Because every Saturday... I was supposed to go train jujitsu with him. And then it's like our time and we would hang out and like do whatever. So like I didn't, I didn't get to do a lot of the things that I wanted to do. So throughout those five years, 
who I was was who he wanted me to be. I was living for him and not for myself. I was doing everything he wanted to. I didn't even know what I wanted. I didn't, when we broke up and this, this, you know, held me back for a while. When we broke up, I didn't know who I was without him. I, like with a lot of unhealthy relationships, I didn't spend a lot of time with other people or doing things without him. When I was in college, it was going to class, doing schoolwork, going to the gym and seeing him. You lost your own sense of identity in the relationship. I absolutely did. I mean, like I, I would sacrifice sleep for him because I, oh, I, had, I had to spend time with him, you know, and he wasn't like truly understanding and supportive of it. You know, it truly understanding and supportive would be, yo, you've gotten like three hours of sleep every night this week because you had to finish that project. Like, don't feel pressured to do stuff this weekend, you know, like. Take some time for yourself, some hey. well-deserved time for yourself. <laughs> hey, uh, maybe go sleep. Maybe, maybe go to sleep at like 8 p.m. instead of staying up with me all night and like watching a movie. I would like, I was so exhausted through college. I would go hang out with him. And I always like had to go to him too. You know, like I had to drive from college to go to him, whatever. But we'd be hanging out watching a movie. Within 10 minutes, I'd fall asleep. If, if even that, because I was so exhausted. Do you think that he was insecure that you got into a college that you didn't get into and so he just didn't even want to go there and he wanted to just have you spend all your time with him? I think he was insecure for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, he, I am big and bold and bright and lovely and radiant and like I definitely embody that now. And I think before him, I, I was embodying that too. And I think he saw that and like wanted to be around it, but then it became too much for him. When he saw it up close, he was intimidated by it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, classic insecure man who can't handle a, a, a big, bright, strong woman. Um, but you know, like I did, the, I used to do this thing in high school where I had a lot of fun. I wasn't able to wear any makeup in Catholic school, but then I got to high school and I was like, oh my God, I can like wear whatever clothes I want and I can, I can put up makeup on what even is okay. Makeup unlocked. What is this? And like, I'm artistic. So I was like, let me match my makeup to my clothes every day. This is so fun. <laughs> and he like saw things like that and he'd be like, oh, but you're so beautiful. Why do you wear so much makeup? So it's like the control is hidden in a compliment. Oh, you're so beautiful. You don't need it. So on one hand it was like, oh, oh cool. I don't need it. And then I got really comfortable not wearing makeup. But then we'd like, go to a wedding or an event and I'd put mascara on and he'd be like, why the fuck are you wearing mascara? I'm like, um, 
because we're at a wedding. Like I'm wearing a dress. I don't know. Um, like it was. Do I need a reason? I did, and that's what's sad. Mm. Mm. That's what's sad. And it it took me a long time to like feel comfortable wearing it again. Like I couldn't express myself because expressing myself was too much for him. It's like. Look at her. She's really bright, but I want to be brighter. I'm so insecure. I can't stand next to this bright thing. So let me dim it. Made him uncomfortable to see his partner comfortable in the spotlight. Yes. Yes. And I think, I mean, there were like a number of things there. Like he was insecure in himself. Um, It's also like physically speaking, he wasn't that much bigger than me. He was like maybe an inch taller than me at the time was like 20, 25 pounds heavier than me. So physically speaking, he didn't take up more space than me either. So it wasn't like he felt balanced because, oh, here I am. I take up more physical space than her. So like we walk in a room, people are going to see me first. It was about the same size and she's beautiful She's this really bright light. I don't want everybody to look at it. No, look at me. My light isn't shining bright enough to outshine her. So I need to tone her down. So for a long time, like I didn't, I didn't even know what to do on a Friday after we broke up. Wow. I I was like- You were just lost without him, really. I was, I mean- I was isolated from my friends. Thank God I have amazing friends in my life that, you know, I think a lot of people knew like what was going on in the relationship um, and knew that it wasn't necessarily healthy. Wish they would have told me that. <laughs> but, hey, it's all part of my journey. Um, but no, like when everything happened, like they were there. I could really rely on them. And and that's, you know, still friends with those people to this day. Like those people are ride or die. They are always there and they were there for me then. So I was just like, I don't know how to fill my time. Uh, Do you guys want to do something? Like I had no idea how to be alone. So when I worked with this relationship coach, like I was living alone, which was jarring for me because I had always imagined myself living with him. You were living a different future than anything you'd imagined up until that point. Yeah. And at that time I was, I mean, I still am a a person of precision and I like to have a bit of control, but I was like, I need to know what's happening. I need to have control. I need to uh, do this so that this happens. And the fact of the matter is you can never predict exactly what's going to happen. So again, the meditation and and everything like really helped me relinquish that control and be more like water instead of like being really rigid in everything. But it was like, oh, I had spent so much time with this guy. Like I felt I had invested so much time. I mean, and I did. And so much of my life, like, oh, it has to be worth it. So I need to have him back. Sunken cost fallacy. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, So yeah, like when I was living alone and I I was no longer near my family. It wasn't far, far away, but I was over an hour away. So like 
you were more alone than you ever had been up until that point. Yes. And I didn't know how to be alone. And jujitsu helps a ton with that. Like that became my constant thing. And that was, oh, well, I have to now develop a new relationship with jujitsu because jujitsu was always attached to him. It was always a thing that we did. And it was like literally how we would see each other during the week when I was in college. So now how do I make it mine? You had to reclaim it for yourself in a new way. Yeah, and I had literally no idea how to do that. (laughs) How did you do it? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I think a lot of it was like self-awareness and like admitting to myself, oh, something does need to change here. Like my perspective needs to change. I mean, granted, being in a different state and training at a different gym definitely helped with making it my own, you know, and it was finding my confidence again, like walk into a new gym and develop new friends. And I mean, even little things, because when I was training at his dad's gym and training with him, I never felt comfortable asking questions. I would get the whole like, hey, um, how do I get out of this? And they'd be like, <laughs> don't get in it. And what they'd walk away. Like I would never actually get an answer. And they would do everything they could to make me feel stupid. Not just your boyfriend, but everyone else at the gym too. Not not everyone else. Uh, when I say they, I mean my my ex-boyfriend and his father. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So the owner and his son. Um, there were other people there that were like really supportive. But it, there was there was always this like weird a vibe there because I was dating the owner's son. So like people didn't want to overstep and I don't know. There was no one wants to hurt the woman that is dating the coach's son. Not even that. Like I think he would get jealous of certain people. (sighs) Tracks with everything else (laughs) you've mentioned so far. Exactly. So, I mean, even, even just, feeling comfortable asking questions. And like the gym that I ended up at after that, after I had moved, was Gary Tonin's gym. And Gary Tonin is amazing. And I love asking Gary questions now, but it took me so much courage to ask him a question. Did you know that it was Gary's gym when you went or did you just get lucky when you walked in the door? I kind of got lucky. Like at that at that point in time, I was... I was just so focused on my broken heart that I didn't really know like what's really going on. Like, okay, I'm going to take this dream job in Manhattan and like go, you know, like it's not worth me staying here for this guy who's a maybe like, I don't know what's happening. I have to do something for me. Thank God I did because that's why I'm here today. But I was just like, okay, what gyms are close by? And I went to a couple different gyms and tried them and Gary's felt the best to me. And so became a student of Gary's. Solid choice. <laughs> very solid choice. Very happy with my decision. Um, it's like anybody who's interacted with Gary on the mats, gone to any of his seminars, been in his classes, knows that he's very supportive. And while he is a man who loves to make jokes and he'll make fun of certain people, he's very caring, kind, and considerate. So the fact that I was like terrified to ask this man a question 
says a lot about what sort of programming my my brain had from previous experiences. So it was a lot of little things like that. And then also like, oh, I'm going to jujitsu for myself. I'm not going to see this guy. Was that a weird realization for you to have? Like one day all of a sudden you're going there and you realize, oh, wait, this is for me now, not just so I can spend time with someone else. Yeah. I mean, it was, oh, this is my thing. I'm doing this because I love it. I'm doing this because I enjoy it. And I like the people here too. And oh, wow, they're really supportive. And oh, they're always here. So jujitsu became this thing that was always there for me. You can't always rely on people. You know, yes, you got your, your ride or die people, but even people have things, those people still have things that go on in their lives too. So having something else, I was like, this is my constant and this is going to support me. It gave me a really good relationship with jujitsu itself. And I also realized that like there was so much more to jujitsu than I had known at the first gym. You know, my first gym, not very good. <laughs> not very good instruction. More of like, a, let's just grind and like beat each other up. And oh, hey, new dude, it's your first night and you're a 235 pound bodybuilder. Sick. Um, why don't you go get the shit kicked out of you by my purple belt female? So I was in like weird positions like that a lot at the other gym. Um, I mean, when I started jujitsu, there were like no women. There were hair red flag. There were no other women who were consistently at that gym for the time that I trained there. Oh, okay. <laughs> you were the only one, the the last one standing. Yes, because it wasn't it wasn't really a comfortable environment for women, and like. It was kind of frowned upon for me to go train at women's open mats or go to other gyms for open mats. Another red flag, everyone. Don't don't be at a gym like that. You creonte. <laughs> How could I? Um, so yeah, it just it like opened my mind up so much. Just training at Gary's. I was like, oh shit, like there's so much in jujitsu I don't know. I remember him saying you know, I went to an intermediate class <laughs> for my first class. Well, I've been doing jujitsu for a year. Like, great. We started doing like ashigarami entries. I had no idea what the fuck he was saying. I didn't know what an ashigarami was. I'd never heard the term. I was like, uh, my foot goes, where, what am I doing? Like I needed like a fucking 101 class. Needed him to put every single limb where it was meant to go. Pretty much. <laughs> So it was like, it, it expanded my perspective on jujitsu. And then I became, oh, wow. Like there's a lot more for me to know. Let me go learn. Like I, the, the same way that when I started diving into professional development and I was just like, let me read everything. Let me do everything. I got the same way with jujitsu because there was so much more to know. And like, I'm an academic at heart. I have three degrees. Like I graduated top of my class. I'm in that shit. So I was like, oh my God, so much to know. So it became just something that like I really wanted to do. So on a Friday night when I didn't have anything to do because I was in a new area and I didn't know anybody, I'll go to jujitsu. I'm just going to hang out with those guys. Cool. So that really seems like it played like a powerful role in you cultivating an identity for yourself. 
Yes. So that was definitely a piece of it. And now to bring it back to the relationship coach I worked with, the things I did with her were also a huge piece of it. Like I, I thought I loved myself and I really didn't. Um, and it, it really started like, you don't just go, Oh, Hey, here I am. I love myself. Woo. That's fake. You don't actually love yourself if you don't know yourself. Say that again. (laughs) You don't actually love yourself if you don't know yourself. And you have to start with knowing exactly who you are so that you can like yourself. And through liking yourself, you love yourself. And I'm not talking about, I'm a really hardworking person and I really care about the people around me. That's generic I don't give a fuck. Who are you? What is the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? Do you like coffee or tea? Do you drink soda, water, bubbles? Do you work out? What's your preferred workout? Do you like sunsets or sunrises? You know, all the little things. What kind of music do you listen to? How do you talk to yourself? That one is massive. Huge. And that's, that's something I work with clients on. You know, in my, in my coaching programs, it's that inner dialogue that you have means everything. That inner dialogue is the, I think, best testament to what the relationship with yourself looks like. I think it's so easy to forget that we have a relationship with ourselves. We have relationships with our friends, with our parents, with our romantic partner. But we also have a relationship with ourself. Absolutely. And that one should be the most important. It's <laughs> so many people treat other people better than they treat themselves. They let people walk all over them. They're talking so nicely to other people. And then they talk to themselves and they're like berating themselves. They're being so hard on themselves. And something that I often am like listening to my clients tell me about something, whatever, and they'll go, you know, I'll say, oh, well, you know, I don't know why it's this. I was like, well, you're talking so mean to yourself. What would you say instead if you were talking to a friend? If your friend came to you with the same questions, comments, same issue, what would you say to them? And they immediately like flip and they're really nice. And I'm like, so why are you so mean to yourself? It's wild that we would never, even for a moment, consider tolerating that kind of behavior from someone else towards us. But if we do it to ourselves, that's normal. Sometimes it's because we deserve it. That's crazy to me. Yeah. And like other people would look at it and be like, oh, that's an abusive relationship. You shouldn't be friends with that person. Yes. But no one knows what you're saying to yourself, you know, and, and that's part of it. I can hide because you're not in my head. For for you to hear what I have to say, I have to actually speak out loud, but I can hear everything that I'm thinking. And another thing to note with the, the self-talk, I mean, you're like telling yourself a story and everything. And that's really important. If you're a manifestation person, that story is really important. But even for people who aren't, you know, doing the whole manifestation thing, it's not, you know, something that they're invested in, but still like you're talking to yourself, right? And you want to like pump yourself up, whatever the case may be. It's not only the words that you use, it is also the tone. So let's say, for example, something 
bad happens and you start getting really stressed out and you're worried. So like you're just feeling unstable and like, oh my God, like, ah. If you start saying to yourself, all right, everything's okay and it's going to be fine and um, everything's going to go like just as it should, it's fine. But if that that is going to make you still feel frank, frantic and frenzied. If you can find find the tone where like, okay, I would want to calm me down. I would want a friend to talk this way and everything's going to be okay. It's not that big of a deal. There's not that much serious going on here. Everything is happening perfectly as it should. That sounds so much better than the frantic one. That's a perfect example of the calm is in the tone. It's not in the words that you're saying. Yeah. And to quote a little manifestation tangent here, it's about the feeling. It's not necessarily about the words. The feeling is what is important. Because I said basically the same thing there, but they had very different feel to them because of the tone. And very different outcomes. Absolutely. Like imagine, imagine like a jujitsu competitor going out there and being like, I'm going to win. I'm so good. I know everything I'm doing. This is great. Okay. I got this. Already hyperventilating before they got on the mat. You're not calm. (laughs) (laughs) Do you like, how do you, how do you want to feel when you get on the mats? Do you want to be calm, cool, and collected? Or do you want to be nervous and anxious? Because say that in the way I did if you want to feel nervous and anxious. Day one, spazzy white belt. Here we go. <laughs> I'm going to get that armor. It's going to be great. And yeah, got it. No. Oh, no. Here I am. Get choked up. Okay. Dead. <laughs> die. You die. <laughs> Freak out. If I'm like, I got this. I know what I'm doing. I know my arm bar set up. It's going to have a much different outcome, you know, because you're actually, you're in your body. Your, your power is now like in your chest and you're like, yeah, I got this. And I'm no Huberman, but I would put money on it that those different tones of voice, especially the examples you just gave, you're accessing different regions of your brain when you're talking to yourself. Those are two different circuits. Oh, they've got to be. Let's call them up. Let's, let's find out. <laughs> Time to phone a friend. <laughs> phone a friend. I don't know the answer here. <laughs> no, but it, it's true. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's the difference between accessing your limbic system, frantic emotion versus accessing your prefrontal cortex, more calm, cool, collected ability to analyze, synthesize new information and make calm, well thought out decisions. Yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> Good job pulling that science out there. <laughs> but yeah, the the self-talk and that the stories that we tell ourselves in the way we say it is so important, you know? And like, it's the difference between who I am now and who I was when I just wanted that guy back. You know, at the time I was telling myself, I can't wear makeup. Who am, who am I? to wear makeup. I was terrified to wear lipstick. I was like, no, I can't do that. That's, that's not me. That's, that's too bold. I'm not that person. If you know me now, you know, you know, I'm bold all the time. Like, (laughs) come on. That's who I am. But at the time I didn't believe that. Mm. So the stories I was telling myself was like, I'm not good enough. I'm, I can't pull off lipstick. I'm not pretty enough for that. I, no, like, let me just 
calm my mind down so I can like be good enough for him. Where now, like I've cultivated so much self-love and it, it's a process, you know, and there are things that you do. And this is a, the, the foundation of my coaching is really like the identity and the self-love so that you can embody your confidence, you know, find, discover, introduce yourself to the badass that is within you and then be that and have the courage to be that every day and be authentic. But the the self-love is what, you know, takes you there. And again, it's knowing, liking, loving. What you said earlier too is it's not just the tone with which we speak to ourselves. It's also the stories that we tell ourselves, the narratives we write about ourselves. I think that's really, really powerful too because in that narrative, in that story, that is our identity. And I'm also curious, what were some other very specific techniques or moments that you had that helped you cultivate that love for yourself aside from shifting how you talk to yourself? I mean, there was, there's a lot of like identity work stuff that I did. I mean, like really exploring who I am, like getting raw with myself and having the courage to literally look at myself and look at what I was doing. Cause that like the radical honesty and admission of things, it can be really hard. And admitting that you're doing something wrong or something that you're not proud of can be really hard to do. Like we want to turn a blind eye to it, you know? I mean, to use a simple example, like if you're somebody who gets up and the first thing you do is look at your phone and you're shameful about that, you might just like, oh, no, I'm just going to ignore it. But then you're going to continue to do that thing. You know, if you're willing to look at it and admit to yourself, okay, the first thing I do is like look at my phone and then I sit in bed for like 20 minutes before I actually get out of bed and I don't want to do that anymore. Now you can create the change because you know where you're starting. So for me, it was a lot of like looking at what I was doing and I had to, I was, my identity, like we said, my identity, identity was so wrapped up in this other person that I had to figure out who I was. Like, what do I like to do on a Saturday? I don't know. Uh, I used to like go over his house. So now what do I do? And figuring out like, what stuff do I actually enjoy doing? Like try different hobbies. Oh, the TV remote is in my hand now. I can pick a show. I have the power. Legitimately, that was me. <laughs> like it. It sounds like something so silly, but like I got to choose what show I watched. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Living large. But it's those little details that make up who you are. It's not, I mean, yes, the big things, you know, we, part of our identity is tied in our profession, but it's the little tiny details, the the music we're listening to, again, the things we're telling us, our tendencies, our habits, you know, like, and starting to figure out why you do certain things. Like at the time, my coach and I said, like, 
I was kind of wavering between bitch Katie and desperate Katie <laughs> where I was like, oh, I'm a bad bitch and not like the bad bitch I am now. Like, I'm just like, yo, what's up? Love me or don't. I don't care. Like, cause I love myself. It was like, no, I'm fucking awesome. And I'm going to go out to the bar because I can. And yeah, I'm hot. Look at me. And then it was desperate Katie that was just like, no, and I don't know. And I'll do whatever you want me to do because I just want that. And oh, oh, you're, you're in the area and you want to meet at a bar in 20 minutes. Okay. I'll get ready and I'll, I'll meet you there. And like dumb shit that I would never fucking do now. But at the time I was like going back and forth. I couldn't find a balance between the two. There was no neutrality. It was one extreme or the other. I'm a bad bitch. You can't fuck with me. I don't give a fuck what you do. Oh my God, I'll do anything you say. That's, that was a horrible place for me to be in. So I had to figure out like what I was actually doing so that I could get where I wanted to go. I think what you said too about knowing the little details of yourself, I think it's so easy to get caught up on the big moments in life and the big aspects of ourselves. I think it's so easy to forget that most of our lives are lived in those small, tiny moments, those actually make up a larger piece of our identity, a larger part of who we are. They really do. Like You are what you consistently do. And most of what you consistently do are the little things. They're not... They know, all add up to you. They do. They do. It's like sand on a beach. Those are all little fucking tiny grains of sand, but they make up an entire beach. That's you with all the details of your life. Same with the ocean. It's all tiny water molecules, but they all come together to make those giant waves that we see crashing on the shore. Exactly. So you can't overlook all of those little tiny things. It's like, okay, how important is a morning routine? Very important because you're going to do it every day assuming it becomes a routine. So like, how do you want to shape that? It doesn't have to be something grandiose. It does not have to be two hours. You do not have to be me in my pit of despair doing a an hour long Kundalini class crying every morning before <laughs> going to work in Manhattan. You can do 10 to 15 minutes, like just checking in with yourself. You know, hey, I'm grateful for these things, starting your day off on the right foot. So then, you know, you have like a a positive perspective throughout your day. You start with gratitude and it just starts you off on the right foot. Um, but if you're just like, you start in a frenzy and you go, 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 you're going to have a different outcome for your day. Um, I'm like, I notice when I, my preferred time to meditate is in the morning. You know, I have a morning routine that I prefer to do. Does it always happen? No, it does not. If it doesn't happen in the morning, I'm going to do it later in the day, but I feel it. I really like to start my day with my morning routine, with my meditation. I just check in with myself. It's like the first thing I'm doing is loving myself. And like a morning routine is an act of love. And part of, you know, me stepping into who I am and who I always was, was actually not just saying, oh yeah, I love myself. I'm going to stand in front of the mirror and tell myself I love myself. I still do that, by the way. I walk past the mirror and I look at myself. I'm like, you that bitch. <laughs> You're awesome. I love you. Oh, 
you're hot too. Love that. You know, <laughs> like definitely do that. However, it's more than just that. You know, it's again, the little things. Are you taking care of yourself? Like, I don't think before I had worked with that coach, I had ever actually thought about what self-love meant and what self-love practices were. And I kind of started like, I was like, quote unquote, dating myself, romanticizing my life, like making sure I took an Epsom salt bath every week because one, it felt really good on my body as an athlete. Two, it's calm. It's relaxing. It's time for me. Like I'm in the bathtub. I can't really do much else. You know, it's like I would sit there and, and you know, put on like singing bowls or something for like some sound healing or, you know, some music, light candles, put some fucking rose petals in that water. Like I made it really special. And those little things, again, it's the little details that made that special. I still keep rose petals in my bathroom in like a jar for when I want to have like a fancy self-love bath. I buy myself flowers because I love them. I think they're really nice to have around. So I buy myself some motherfucking flowers. And when they die, if there are roses in that flower arrangement, I keep the roses and I put them in my jar so that I have them for bath time. For me, that's that's an act of self-love. Those things are an act of self-love. For other people, it's different. We all have different love languages. So the love that you have with yourself is going to be expressed differently than the love that I have for myself. Um, but like even just exploring what that means and like what does it mean to actually take care of myself? If I were in a relationship, how would I want somebody to take care of me? What would I want them to do for me? For example, this was a huge um, self-love thing for me this summer my birthday. Like I love my birthday because I love myself. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, I'm a classic Leo for any astrology people out there. Very fiery center of attention. Hello, here I am. Take all the pictures of me. I like celebrated all month, but my birthday weekend I made really special. And I threw myself the birthday party I would want someone else to throw for me because I'm not currently in a relationship. So I'm like, okay, like, yes, I have really amazing friends and like friends helped me. Don't get me wrong. But I was like, no, like I'm going to make this as special as I want it. And then I, you were there. I made myself this epic birthday cake that people thought I bought, but I put so much. You can bake. You can bake. (laughs) Also the cupcakes. Oh my God. I forgot. Yes. I made cupcakes and a birthday cake. Um, But like, I just made everything so special and I decorated my apartment and I dressed up nicely and like all this, even just like, you know, taking a moment to like dress up nicely. That's an act of self-love. You feel really good. Like there's a psychology behind that. You know, when they say, oh, dress for the job you want to have, it puts you in like a particular frame of mind. You know, if you're It's easy to do when you work from home. You just sit there in your pajamas. And there are definitely days that I do that. But if I'm feeling like, oh, today's a day where like I'm getting a lot done and like I'm putting on my CEO hat today, I dress the part. I'm dressing nicely. So, and I feel like it helps me stay focused. There's just so many little things that you can do to really 
elevate things in your life. I think what you mentioned too about not just looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, oh, I love myself, but actually doing things for yourself that are loving. We've heard the adage, love is a verb all the time. Again, I think that applies very much to ourselves. And as you're saying, you're just speaking to the importance of doing that, of actually doing things to show yourself that you do love yourself. Yeah. Like, again, don't get me wrong. I will sit there and like have a little conversation with myself and be like, hey, I love you. You're great. You know? And another cool piece about that, like when you really love yourself and when you tell yourself that you love yourself and you don't need other people to do it, you're not looking outside of yourself for those things because everything you need is within you. And it already is, even if you're not doing those things or you don't feel like it or you are in a position right now where you're looking for external validation, you know, it's okay to be there because you can get out of there. But when you don't, when you don't need that, it's just, it feels so amazing. Like, again, liking, or I'm sorry, knowing, liking, loving, like, it gives it like gives yourself permission to be fully authentic because I'm just going to be me because I know, like, and love myself. And if you're not on the same page, that is totally fine with me. It doesn't matter if you like me because I really like myself and I'm not going to change because you, you're an NPC in my life you specifically tech, <laughs> you're not an NPC, but like we put so much weight into what other people think about us or what other people are saying. So if I, if I'm not only telling myself, I love you, you're beautiful. You do all these amazing things, right? Like my affirmations that I tell myself are powerful because I believe them if I, if I'm really in that state now, I don't, I don't need you to tell me that I'm great. Believe me. I love compliments. I'm a Leo, right? I compliments are great, but I don't need them. They're always an added bonus. They're, they're not even icing on the cake. They're sprinkles on the cake. I got a complete cake here. (laughs) (laughs) No pun intended. (laughs) No pun intended. (laughs) I got got a full cake. Full, full cake, <laughs> fully baked all the way through. With icing. Oh my God. We're not going down that path. Um, anyway, compliments are a bonus. You know, yes, I love receiving love, but I don't need it. So in this being very secure with myself, everything's within me as it is with everybody. You just have to tap into that. You have to do the work it's important you can't can't skip it there's no shortcut for it but going back to the story um so you're you have the breakup you do the meditation now you're onto the relationship coach at first you're still desperately trying to get back with the ex that kicked off this entire journey now with the relationship coach you love yourself now and now you don't want to get back with your ex Absolutely not. 
never ever. I like, I, through working with her and exploring all the self-love and exploring myself and realizing who I was, I reclaimed my power. He had taken it. Fact of the matter is I allowed him to take it. No one else will ever fucking do that to me because of my self-assuredness, because of the love that I have for myself. So I got to this point after working with her, I was like, I don't need anybody. Anybody who comes into my life now is a bonus. Like if, if you're coming into my life and this, this goes for men, it goes for friends. If you are not adding value to my life, I don't want it. If you're here, you're enriching and enhancing my life in some way. So I just got to this point where I was like, oh, sick. Like, I'm great now. And I think, you know, all of these pieces of my story are really important. But the work I did with this particular coach, shout out to the Good Love Co, Steph Chermo over there, amazing woman, brilliant. She just really helped me see who I was. And after that, like, it was very pivotal. And I was like, oh, great. Like, I live alone. Cool. Like, I have date nights with myself. I'm going to make myself a steak. Nice choice. <laughs> Solid choice. Cannot go wrong with a steak. So was the the relationship coach, was that the most pivotal moment in your journey, at least in terms of getting over your ex? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, every every, like I said, every piece is important. I don't think... I don't think Steph and I would have been able to accomplish what we accomplished if I hadn't done all of the work leading up to that. It does seem like a case where each step of the way built you up to the next one. Yeah, it was it was providing a foundation, you know, because with I had already released a whole bunch of emotion. I had released trauma, like I had my meditation practice, I had my kundalini, like I was doing all of those things. I didn't have the need for like full control over things. So I went in to working with staff with a really open mind. And that's really important. Like if you are investing in a coach, they're a coach for a reason. You're trusting them for a reason. So do the things that they're telling you to do. Like there's a, there's a reason behind it. And if you're not going with an open mind and with trust, you're not going to get the same results. But I was able to do that because of the work I'd already done. And like I had, I had my practices. And so there were moments during my time working one-on-one with staff that were really hard. You know, I was still in contact with my ex. And how long after, uh, like the breakup, are we in the journey right now? How how long did you maintain contact after? Oh, this was like a year and a half after the official breakup. Like it, this, this is, it was such a whirlwind, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of back and forth. There was a period of time where like we did get back together. Um, we still lived in close proximity to each other because the university that I went to for both undergrad and grad school was the same. And it was, um, it's like 25 minutes from my parents' house and it was 35 minutes from his house. It was like, I was still like in the vicinity, 
and he, he knew where I was all the time. Like this motherfucker at times would just like show up at my house. Unannounced, <laughs> just knocking on your door. I, I remember a time very specifically where I had, um, I had, I, my parents live like an hour, hour and a half outside of Philadelphia. So, um, on, it was like a Saturday or Sunday. I went down to this gym we were affiliated with in Philadelphia and I went and trained in the morning and I came back, I was in grad school and I, I had like a whole bunch of homework to do. Like I was literally like, it was like coding for one of my projects or whatever it was. And this guy is just like, I really need to talk to you. And I was like, I can't, like, I'm, I, I have to work on my, my code. And he's like, you had enough time this morning to go train. You can give me 20 minutes to talk to you. I'm like, no, <laughs> um, I planned for that time. And, and like, at that time I had like started to do stuff for myself, right? It was like, I'm going to this open mat for me, it was something I wanted to do. This is good for my mind and my body. I'm going to go. And he's just like, well, you had time for that. Like you, you can give me 20 minutes. And I was like, um, actually I can't. Like I really need to get this done today. And again, it was the jealousy because it was like the people that I was there with or whatever. <laughs> he goes, well, I'm already on my way over to your house. So you're going to talk to me. I was like, oh my God. And he shows up. I bet you can guess how this went. It was not only 20 minutes. Never is. It was it was three hours. <laughs> Impressive. And he was just like, there were times he was just like sitting on my bed. I'm like, can you go? Are we done? Is there more to say? Was this the final time you guys no. saw, oh, okay. This was this just was like one just random another time. on and off encounter. Yeah, this was just like one random time. Um, I mean, I was still training at that gym that I was at, which, which was hard. I mean, like in hindsight, like, could I have left? Yeah, sure. But keep in mind at the time, jujitsu wasn't as big. There weren't as many gyms to go to. Also... <laughs> That gym wasn't exactly like super respected by all the gyms around. So I was like, I felt uncomfortable going to some of the other gyms in the area. And I was like, my time here is expiring because I'm going to move and I'll find a new gym then. I didn't want to like have to go into a new environment twice. And he and I were still like entangled, you know? So it was like, we might this might like, we might be getting back together. Who knows? You know, he, there was so much oscillation. It was just a big mind fuck. And if I had the same amount of self-love and, and value in myself that I do now, I would have walked away from that long, long before I did fact of the matter is I did not have that at that time. I did not have the same view on myself. I didn't know who I was, you know? So it was like my identity was attached to him. How can I, like, what do I do? It's really hard to walk away from somebody that 
is attached to your identity. So, yes, it was quite a long period of time. Um, but now you're with the relationship coach. And so how, like, that is that when you're officially over this guy? Yes. And how did it end? Did did you guys say anything to each other or you guys just, it was the slow fade and you just stopped talking to each other? It was more of like a slow fade. Um, by that point, we weren't talking all the time. He was like, just like doing his little temperature check with me, like once a month checking in. And like, I think he did like come out and visit me at that apartment at one point. Um, but like most of it was just like little communication here and there, like again, once a month or, or so, but you know, when I was like working with her, it just, my communication with him became different because I was no longer as wrapped up in it. I was able to improve my emotional intelligence and actually access energetic neutrality. So what I mean by that is I was able to look at the situation for exactly what it was. This is the reality. This is the physical evidence. This idea of potential, this romanticizing it, like that's not real. So what is actually happening? Let me remove my emotions from it. What's actually happening is, and is that something I want? Is it something that I accept? Is it something that I tolerate? And I was able to make decisions based off of that. So like there were a couple of times during the period I was working with this coach where he'd like reach out to me and like try to get my sympathy over something or whatever. Um, and I just did not reply in the same way that I used to, you know, like something happened with his dog at some point. Like, I don't know if she was sick, whatever. I can't remember precisely, but he reached out to me and like said that and like was like, he was trying to get my sympathy. And my, my response was just very simply like, I'm sorry, that's happening to you. So it shifted the way that I was able to communicate because I could remove my emotions from it. And I don't think, I don't think we communicated after that. Like, I just think it, it fizzled out and was done. That was finally the end. Yeah. And so you're with the coach. What, what happens after the coach in your journey that leads you to becoming a coach mm -hmm. of your own? Mm -hmm. So while I worked with her on relationships specifically like romantic relationships the fact of the matter is you have a relationship with everything in your life relationship with yourself relationship with your friends relationships with your job like literally everything is a relationship and I started to apply the things I had learned with her to other aspects of my life so at the time I was a structural engineer working at one of the most prestigious engineering and architecture firms on the planet. And I hated it. I hated working in Manhattan. I hated 
the environment. I hated being at work until one in the morning. I started to be able to understand what fulfillment felt like. And because you knew yourself? Because I knew myself. Because I finally understood what I wanted, what I valued, who am I? Um, you know, it was what was nice about working in Manhattan is that I got to go to John's classes every so often in the mornings. But it was like once a week, you know, as much as I could manage um, without everybody being like, uh, Katie's showing up late all the time. Um, so, you know, I started I started to like really get more invested in jujitsu, like training under Gary opened my eyes a lot to that. And I was taking the train into the city and coming back home or even getting there some days. It was just a pain in the ass. Oh, delayed. Oh, you missed your train. You missed your first train by 30 seconds. Now you're getting home half an hour later just because of the way things line up. And I really didn't like that part of life. Um, so I was able to have the courage to leave that job. You know, yes, it was a dream job. People would have killed for that job. And it's, I should, quote unquote, should have stayed there. But I didn't want to. I wasn't happy. I was so frustrated. And so I left and I worked at a different engineering firm. And it was much smaller, focused more on residential. So the, the first firm, like, if you're familiar with Burj Khalifa, the tallest building in the world in Dubai, my first firm Heard did it. <laughs> my first firm did that. So it's like Whoa. very, like very prestigious buildings. Like a lot of the New York City skyline was designed by them. Like very good company to work for. But I felt like a machine. Like I was just a piece of the machine. Hey, you're here till one in the morning. Be back by nine. I'm an hour away, like, fuck. Brutal. You were just, I didn't, I didn't truly feel valued. And so I started working at this other firm, like, okay, maybe it's going to be different. They did more residential things, custom homes. I love custom homes. That's part of the reason why I got into engineering and architecture. It's just like, I, I think custom homes are just magical. Like, I was playing The Sims growing up, just building houses because... I love them. <laughs> you were born to do this. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is my thing. Um, and I worked for that firm. And guess what? I hated that too. <laughs> you were not born to do this. I am intelligent enough to do it. And I did it well. The problem with the second firm is that I didn't have the intellectual stimulation that I had at the first one. Because we were doing like really high end stuff. The second one was like, just more mundane, like very repetitive. And I like, I like wrote codes to make my life easier. Like, hey, like this is, you know, you just plug these couple of numbers in and then it like does the thing and then you have the answer. And they like wouldn't let me use it because I had to do shit by hand. And I was like, but it's like, I built the code. I know how to do it. Like, what is this? And I had a realization. Oh, because also... When I was working for that second firm, it afforded me the time and flexibility to be able to start teaching jujitsu. 
So that was that was when you started teaching jujitsu. That was when I started teaching jujitsu, and I started a women's program at Gary's gym. I was like, "Oh, this is sick! I really enjoy teaching, and I enjoy taking this complex information and breaking it down into easily understandable things. Like this is great. I love this, and kind of the combination of those things, and like not enjoying where I was. Like I got to a point." where I'd be driving to work and like my soul was so unhappy. I was like, I can't do this. I'd like cry on the way to work. I'm not meant to be here. I was call my mommy like, I don't want to go to work today. And she's like, it's like, no, you don't understand. Like it was like a deep feeling in my heart. You know, I was sitting at a desk doing calculations all day. Hey, guess what? I'm a people person. I enjoy connection and interaction and I wasn't getting it. So I started to say, okay, what are the things that I want in my life? I would love to have freedom and flexibility. Like those motherfuckers at Henzo's up in Manhattan, like what are they doing so that they have their lunchtime free and they can go train and go to John's class? What are, what, what's something that I can do where it like allows me to connect to people and develop relationships and things like that. And I, I ended up uh, switching into a sales role and it was engineering adjacent sales. And I was like, oh shit, this is great. You know? So I, I was in sales for a bit and I worked with the most amazing manager. It was like the perfect person I could have because she is a literal rock star. She has a platinum album. Um, Damn. <laughs> right? Just like another bad bitch. A different flavor. She has her flavor of badass. I have my flavor of badass. And we just like understood each other. And why that's important is because she understood what it meant to be passionate about something outside of work. And like that work-life balance was important to her as it was to me. So through working there, like I got to do even more jujitsu. And it actually COVID worked to my advantage because that job was supposed to be in Manhattan. And I had the interview the Friday before the world shut down. So for the entire time I worked for that company, I didn't go to the office. I was just working from home, which meant I get to go play and do jujitsu in basements. <laughs> what a COVID blessing. Right? And, you know, the team moved to Puerto Rico during COVID. And, you know, I was training a lot, again, like in people's basements and stuff. And we weren't allowed to go to the gyms and whatever. But then the team moved to Puerto Rico and um, I took a week off and went down there with um, another guy who trained at Gary's gym and we trained for a week and I came back and I said to my manager, I was like, okay, I was just in Puerto Rico. That's where my team is now. And like, would it be possible for me to go work down there and like train there? Uh, they train like in the middle of the day. So like work in the morning, work at night. Like, is that something that we can work out? She's like, you know what? We had established trust with each other already. She said, you know what? Go. Go for two weeks, see how it goes and work down there and let's see if it works. And it worked. So 
I got to go down to Puerto Rico all the time and I had this job and I worked it and it, it was great. And that just kind of, that gave me the freedom and flexibility I was hoping for. And I was like, I wasn't expecting to get it that soon, you know, saying like, okay, longer down the line as I like establish myself, whatever. And it, it came so much faster. Like I put out what I wanted and I got it. And then, you know, through that, I was able to move here to Austin and like train on this team and, and everything. And there had always been a part of me. I was like, you're meant for more. I remember having a conversation when I worked that first job in Manhattan. I had a conversation with two of my coworkers at the time and we were having a frustrating day and I said something insightful to them as we're walking uh, down the sidewalk and my friend looked at me and he goes, Katie, you should be a motivational speaker. I was like, what? And he's like, no, seriously, like you always help me get through stuff when it's hard. You always inspire me. Like you've got a lot to say. You should say it. Like that would be amazing for you. And I was like, huh, interesting. So that was when the seed of becoming some sort of coach was first planted? I think it was that. I also, through that, kundalini mastermind the focus of that was finding your purpose so i think the seeds had started to be planted then i well i started to explore it then and then my friend said that and i was like huh interesting and the more i learned the more books i read and personal development work i was doing the more I became the person people went to for advice. So you weren't necessarily always that person. I don't think so. I think just, you know, the way friends rely on people is what I was. But when you tell something to someone, you give them advice and it's sound advice and it makes them feel better and it works, they're going to come back to you for it. And not only that, but you create a safe, comfortable environment for them where you're actually listening to them and you want to hear what they have to say because you want to help that goes a long way. So I was doing all of those things just naturally, you know, even before I was in sales, like I was kind of doing like a lot of the quote unquote salesy things where it's like, Hey, listen to people, hear what they actually have to say. And that, I think those things made me just the person that people wanted to talk to because they would feel validated. They would feel encouraged, inspired, heard, seen, all of those things. And then it's like, not just like, okay, well, let me comfort you. It was, I'm going to give you like action here. Here's, here's a way you can improve it. So it was kind of like I was coaching before I was ever coaching. And when I was trying to explore like, what do I want to do? What am I meant for? So something I was asking myself is what do I enjoy doing? Like when do I get lost in things and like sending my friends voice notes when they were going through hard times? Like I loved doing that. Um, so it was, you know, after working with my relationship coach too and like 
seeing what that was like. That was the first time I worked with somebody one-on-one. I was like, oh, this is kind of really cool. And I started entertaining the idea, but I didn't know, I didn't know what I would coach people on. It's like, it kind of has just like a wide breadth of things. And I was like, what, what, why, why me? You know what, what is the differentiator? Um, so it took me a little bit of time to like figure that out. So while I was in sales, like I, I was thinking about it, like what, what do I want to do? Um, this is just a stepping stone for me. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a coach. Like I started really feeling it. And then I was like forced to take the leap. What forced you? Being laid off. (laughs) (laughs) That'll do it. (laughs) That'll certainly do something. Yeah, I, um, it was really hard to try to start building a business while also trying to be a full-time athlete while also having a full-time job. So my whole coaching thing kind of took a backseat. It was, oh, if I have enough energy after training today, I'll like do a little something, something. But I didn't, I didn't have the bandwidth. So last year, December at Worlds, I got laid off the day I competed. And I didn't really know it was coming. Um, I, I knew like two days beforehand. I knew like two days beforehand because my boss, who had become a friend by that point, she reached out to me and she's like, hey, something's weird. I care about you. So I want to tell you just like, you might want to start to get like a, a resume put together. Cause like something might be happening. Like I've been at other startups. I've heard some weird statements. I'm just seeing some weird patterns and I care a lot about you. So I'm just letting you know. I was like, oh damn. Okay. It was like the day I was getting on a plane to go to worlds. I was just like, well, fuck. <laughs> All right. Even still, like I got there and I like did a little bit of work once I got there and whatever. I had that Friday off so I could compete. They made me get on a call and they laid me off. And I was like, okay, here we are. <laughs> well, let me go compete first. And then that's when that tone in my, in my mind had to be calm and had to be, had to create a safe place for me. It's like, okay, everything's going to be okay. Katie, you're very skilled. You could get a job anywhere you want. You've got three degrees, but you could also do a lot of other things too. So everything's going to be okay. Just go compete and go do your thing. Um, and, and afterwards, after I like get back from worlds and everything, it was, okay, what am I going to do? Is this my opportunity to go for it? Or am I going to try to find another job? And I chose to go for it. You know, either either jump or you're pushed. Was that an easy decision for you to make when you were put in that position where it's, you said to yourself, time for another job or time to finally do the thing that I've been thinking about? It was easy. Because when 
when your soul is aligned with something, it becomes way easier. Yes, there was fear. It wasn't like I was just like, yep, I feel really great about this. Everything's perfect. It's going to, no, no. And there still is fear about it, you know. Um, But it was an easy choice for me. Like I didn't want to work in other places. I didn't, there was no job that excited me the way other jobs had in the path, in the past. Um, I was just, okay, well, I'm going to do it. Like now I'll have time to do it and I'll have time to go to both jujitsu sessions a day when I want to. And, oh, my body's going to feel better because I'll be able to get more rest and all of those things. So it it was actually an, an easy decision. I actually, at one point, um, my old manager, because she's a wonderful woman. She's like, hey, um, I have this potential position for you if you're interested. Like, I wouldn't be sending it your way if I didn't think it was a good opportunity. Check it out. So I did interview with them and I was doing the interview and I was so frustrated that for a couple of reasons. But I remember being there. I'm like, I don't want this job. I don't want to do it. I like the time that I have now. And like, I want to be a coach. I want to help inspire and empower people. I want people to feel the bliss that I feel, to feel the fulfillment that I feel. It just wasn't in alignment with you at that time. No, no, that like that, that job just didn't feel right. I was like, I hope they don't even offer it to me. And they didn't. Because if they had offered it to me, I would have been like, ooh, but that money. <laughs> Shit, okay. But this way it was like, nope, I'm, go- I'm doing it. I'm just doing the whole thing. I'm going all in. And that's what it was. And I love the coaching. Like it, it feels so good to sit down and talk to clients and like just again, like I was doing with my friends, providing a safe place. You know, I've had a couple of conversations within the past week where the women that I'm talking to have gotten like emotional or they've been venting a lot. And then they apologize to me. (laughs) I'm like, you shut up with your apologies. There's space for all of you here, whether that's an emotional day, a frustrated, whatever, be exactly who you are here. It's safe. Like women get told a lot, you're a burden. Oh, your emotions are annoying. You know, that's how I felt in my past relationship. I'd be upset and I wasn't actually able to express what I was feeling. I felt like a burden every time I would do it. I was the one who was wrong. There was something wrong with me. We all should have the space to feel safe and comfortable expressing. And that's part of coaching. Like, tell me all the details. Tell me what's frustrating you. Give me everything. Because the more I have, the more we can work through it. The more information I have about the story you're telling yourself, the more I can help you change it. We can rewrite it. We can reframe it. We can give it a different tone. You can Shakespeare the shit out of that. So that's the story. That's how you became a coach. It's 
five years in the making. <laughs> you have your traumatic breakup. That's basically your call to action and your hero's journey. <clears throat> then you find the meditation, you find the mastermind that starts to help you turn things around in your life at a very pivotal moment. You continue on the path. You find the relationship coach. And first, they help you untangle all the trauma with your boyfriend. But then that carries over to everything else, carries over to your professional life. You slowly start to rethink the direction that your life is taking. And that all culminates with you being laid off the start of last year at Worlds. And then you finally take the dive into being an empowerment coach. That's the story. <laughs> That's the abridged version. <laughs> 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 Without all the details. But again, details are important. That's life is made in details that's that's the that's the sauce but that is the sauce <laughs> so that's i mean that's just i think a powerful story in general so now that you are an empowerment coach you already kind of talked about the impact that you want to have on your clients you want them to know the bliss that you've come to know you want them to feel empowered in the same ways that you do now so what's what would you say your your specialty is? What does your ideal client look like? Who do you feel you're best equipped to help? Well, I think naturally women in jujitsu, um, there aren't a lot of us. And part of my mission is to be the woman that I never had when I was coming through the ranks because there weren't any. <laughs> Like, you know, even just having somebody to be there to listen and support would have helped me a lot. So that is part of it. You know, like, <laughs> can't tell you how many times I just like sat in the locker room and cried after class or I would literally, this does not happen to me anymore. My training room is wonderful. And yes, I still do cry because it's frustrating sometimes to get the shit beat out of you all the time. Um, but it's a different type of frustration that I felt before, like before I would sometimes like leave mid-round. And and that was also tied to my ex-boyfriend. Like I didn't feel necessarily like safe and stuff or, um, you know, I would feel like he was trying to hurt me. So I would just like get up and leave and like go cry in the locker room and then like try to hide. But I didn't have anybody to support me. I didn't have anybody to just talk to and be like, it's really fucking hard to be a fucking woman in this sport. Like it's hard for anybody to do this sport. Add the fact that you're a, a woman, that's harder for a number of reasons. So it's like, first and foremost, like let me support everybody and like, again, provide a safe environment for them to vent, for them to cry, for their emotions to be validated since we're told that they're not so frequently. But aside from that, helping these women in jujitsu to truly discover who they really are, to know themselves and figure out like, who is that badass within you? That badass being the power within you. 
because we all have a different version of our inner badass. So that's like the the identity piece. Like, let's discover that. And then from there, learning to like it, learning to love it, and embodying that and having the courage to be truly and fully authentic in everything that you do because that is power and that is magic. And so many things open up for you and expand for you when you're able to tap into that authenticity. But it's not as simple as just like, hey, be authentic. You got to know what that means. So it's like a, a little process. So I would say, in short, the foundation of the coaching is the self-love work, the know, like, love. And then from there, just really understanding and knowing who your inner badass is, what your power is, and then embodying it every day, you know, and being able to tap into that power, that badass in every circumstance and situation, not just when you step on the mats, but also when you step into a meeting, feeling good everywhere in your life, when you're about to have a hard conversation with somebody, like there's a lot of times when you can call upon that power and and use it. So I just, I want everyone to, to know that that power is there and know how to access it and love themselves for it. Beautiful. Now you've sprinkled this conversation with specific techniques that you've done that helped you along in your journey. I'm curious in your coaching practice, what are some of the specific techniques that you teach to your clients? Just kind of briefly summarized. Meditation is a key component for people who don't already meditate because it's so beneficial. That being said, like, I don't force it, you know, like everybody relates to meditation in a different way. Um, some people say, oh, I don't like meditation. It doesn't work for me. I think those people just haven't found the type that works for them. So, um, if they don't already meditate, we're going to get you meditating. (laughs) Um, and if you don't like it and you don't want to do it after we're done working together, you can go back to your old ways. Um, more than just that, I will create custom meditations for my clients, depending on what they're going on, going through in their life, um, like pre-competition specific meditations, because like those don't exist. Um, you know, th- some things that like I felt like I was looking for and didn't have, like I provide those for my clients when it comes to those meditations. Um, and are those guided meditations that you pre-record and then they listen to and follow along with? Yes, exactly. Um, cause meditation's hard to do if you just like sit there and try not to think because that's not what it is. Meditation is just being aware of the thoughts and being present and checking in with yourself. So yes, I, I create guided meditations for my clients, which is cool because those are like fully customizable. I'm listening to what my clients say and embedding that in the meditation. You know, if there's something specific they're working on, if there's a certain word 
that resonates with them, I'll embed that in the meditation. So now it becomes part of the subconscious programming and things like that. So that's definitely a core. And now everything else really depends on what in particular they're looking for and and wanting to improve in their life. Like, yes, everything is starting with this, like knowing yourself and loving yourself component. Um, and some of the things that we've talked about today are, are things that I'll do. And, you know, of course I have a lot of different techniques to work through. Um, but then like, if you want relationship support, I got you. Like while yes, this self-love and everything like that's specialty, you know, the empowerment for women in jujitsu specialty that I still have a lot of knowledge in other components of life as well. So like you're having a rough time in a relationship, you want to work on your communication. We can talk through that. I've got a bunch of stuff for that. Um, you know, what just when it comes to training, you know, if people have, they need some support with training. I've been training jujitsu for a long time. Like I'm kind of an expert there too. Um, or just like life and, and balance and things like that and finding balance in life. And how do you do that? Like, how do you say no to your job when it, they're overworking you and creating and setting boundaries for those sorts of things? And all of that, like it all comes back to self-love. You're going to feel more comfortable setting a boundary if you love yourself. You also have to know yourself well enough to know what your boundaries are to even set them. Exactly. Um, so like lo self-love and identity work is the foundation for the empowerment. And then that just kind of expands into all aspects of life. Um, I'm actually running a mastermind right now that's focused on healing, healing the, those deep-seated emotions and and releasing them. And I've provided a number of different somatic tools for that. Cause like we've discussed talking about it. Great. We have calls where they get to talk about it and then it's okay. Here's how we really anchor that in. Here's some forgiveness work. Here's some gratitude work. Here's some breath work. You know, like I've, I'll record breath work sessions for my clients that they can like access at particular times for them. Like affirmations and things like that. Also key components, tapping. Like we talked about the emotional freedom technique, EFT, like that is something. Um, there's there's a lot of, of tools in the toolbox here. And it's all, then that's the the beauty of working with somebody one-on-one -on -one is that everything gets to be tailored specifically for you. When it's in a group setting, like of course groups and one-on-one, -on -one, they have pros and cons. Group setting is more about like the feel of the group. And yeah, while I am listening to you, you don't, you don't have an hour each week to talk to me. You know, you might have half an hour or 20 minutes or, or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, and then another thing to note is that I'll do um, video sessions on a weekly basis with clients, but then I don't just leave you hanging. 
like throughout the week, you get to talk to me. There's there's follow-up. Not just follow-up. You have 24-7 access to me through a communication app um, where I'm I'm going to be listening to any voice notes you send me. I'm going to be th- – those notifications for me are a priority. So if you, if something comes up and you need support, I got you. You know, you are fully held through the entire time you're working with me. You know, so it's like little spot things like, oh, my God, I just got this text. I don't know how to reply to it. Oh, my God, I just got this text and my energy is all over the place. How do I ground myself? What do I do? So I'm curious about, you said it's EFT, emotional freedom tapping. Could you give a brief rundown of what that looks like? So I don't, I'm not like certified in it or anything. I don't like, I just practice it myself and I have resources that I share with people to do it. Like other tapping experts, like there are YouTube pages of, you know, people leading sessions. It's it's kind of like a guided meditation where they like guide you through it. So let's say, I don't know, like you want to improve your relationship with money. So you're doing EFT for money and, you know, you'll start with identifying or acknowledging a limiting belief or like a bad habit with the money, you know, like whatever it is, like, I mean, and you're you're tapping the entire time to do this. So like you tap the top of your head to start and then you come down and you tap your brow point. And every time you're tapping, you know, you tap a temple, every time you're tapping a particular location, you switch the thing that you're saying. You're like, oh, I may not have been the best with my money to this point, but I'm willing to make changes. So you start with acknowledging what it is accepting it and then through, and these are like maybe 10 minutes long like it doesn't take long to move through this just like with the breath work and the kundalini like it moves energy so fast so it's you start with the negative and then you flip it and you reframe it and you start to be like you know but now like I'm calling all the money in like I got this and then you know you go through and you end it and it's it's like you tap the head, the brow point, the temple, right above the lips, right on the chin, your chest, and then, oh, right under the armpit and the outside of the hand. And these are all, I've, I've heard of these points like from various practitioners, not just tapping, like acupuncture and everything, like Somebody once told me if I feel anxiety, you know, just tap here to help it dissipate. Um, So these are really powerful points. So it's like, that's how it's like moving the energy as you're saying these statements and reaffirming them. And then you get, you know, to the end, you're on your last one. And it's always like, oh, and I love, honor and accept myself, you know. Sounds like an interesting way of undoing self-limiting beliefs, not just in the mind, but also in the body. Yeah. Um, I love EFT for that. Um, I mean, there are a few things you can do to like reframe your negative thoughts. Um, these are 
things that I teach as well, because again, that story that you're telling yourself, the way you're talking to yourself and the inner dialogue is really, really important. So we need to be able to, if a negative thought comes up, we need to be able to switch it out for something else. Um, so there's like techniques for that. But then this one is like more like really what's in you and how are we getting it out? Um, so it's, I, I love that one, but especially like really sticky stuff. Like if you're just having a hard time really reframing some sort of thought, belief statement, the EFT is really great for that. And it's, it's not just money. That was just like the first example that popped into my head. Of course. I mean, you do it for procrastination. You could just do it for like, I want to have a good day. So. Another one you mentioned that was really interesting to me is forgiveness. I've heard gratitude practice a lot, but I don't know that I've heard anyone talk about forgiveness. What are some of, what's the context of that look like? What are some of the specifics of that? So I would say that gratitude and forgiveness are two of the most powerful energies that you can tap into. And you're right. Gratitude takes center stage with that. Probably because gratitude feels better. <laughs> forgiveness is harder to look at. It hurts a bit more. And you are, you're hurting if you want to forgive. And you have to want to forgive. You know, a lot of times we want to just hang on to a negative emotion. If somebody hurt us, then it's validating for ourselves to just hang on to that pain and be like, we got, fuck you, you did that to me. You're right though. Gratitude's just kind of lying around all over the place. You can really find it almost without even having to try and look for it. But forgiveness, you actually have to do the work. That one takes a lot more energy and effort. Yeah. And forgiveness is more of a healing technique. Technique? Yeah. Healing practice. Um, because you're pulling out emotions. And healing does not feel good. Healing hurts. Especially old pain almost like resetting a bone that didn't heal the right way. Yeah, like the longer you've been holding on to the anger, resentment, whatever from somebody, the more it's going to hurt to to pull it out. Um but it's it's not comfortable. But the feeling on the other side is so worth it. That there's bliss on the other side. It's it feels so much lighter on the other side. So, I mean, oftentimes I have to like almost force myself to do it. So does, is that similar to a gratitude practice where you're journaling, you're picking something, someone that you want to forgive? How does that look? I mean, kind of in a way it's where a gratitude practice can be like, oh, I'm tapping into this every day. It's like, I'm bringing this positivity and forgiveness because it's more of a healing practice. It like takes more energy. You have to be in the right mind frame to do it. And oftentimes when I do it, I cry. So like, I'm not going to do it on the train going to work. <laughs> um, 
I make it like a ritual for myself, which isn't necessary, but it makes me feel good. Like the whole point of it for me is getting out the emotion, releasing it, any sort of density or heaviness attached to that particular person, concept, whatever. So I like, I like, I know it's going to be, it's going to be a ride. <laughs> so I like sit down and I light some candles and depending on what it is, sometimes I'll put on like music that'll elicit some of the emotions to really get them out. Um, or I'll just put on like some like nice piano music or something. It just, it depends on what I'm forgiving, who I'm forgiving, what, it's like really attached to, um, but sometimes it's enough to just like acknowledge the hurt and say, I'm fucking mad at you for this. My best like forgiveness journaling sessions start with fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes we have to cycle through the emotions though. Sometimes the most direct way to forgiveness is not right to forgiveness. It's not through happiness. Sometimes you do have to go back to the anger or sadness to move to the anger, to move to the sadness, to move finally, eventually to the forgiveness. I think the most direct way there is an indirect route by cycling through those different negative emotions to slowly move up the levels, so to speak. No, absolutely. An analogy that I use often is a, a ladder. Like you're at the bottom of the ladder if you're feeling anger and resentment. Forgiveness is a higher vibration emotion. You, you're all the way up there. Like you can't just jump all the way up there. The way you climb the ladder in this particular uh, example is acknowledging it feeling it, let it move through you and find the next best feeling emotion. If I'm really low down on that ladder, <laughs> I might spend an entire Friday night journaling about somebody, you know, and sometimes it's just like, hey, let me acknowledge like, and I'll write just like a little paragraph, like I'm mad at you for this. Like you did me wrong because you did this and fuck you. <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> sometimes it's a full letter and it's pages and pages of fuck you I'm mad at you can't believe you fucking did that to me fuck you <laughs> <laughs> and and like with that that particular practice um like if I'm writing somebody a letter great, write the letter, let it out. Like you want to feel all the feelings. You want to feel the feelings all the way to the end. You don't just want to feel 50% of the emotions because then it's not all gone. Feeling 50% of the emotions six times puts you through more angst and grief and anger and everything than feeling it 100% once. Even though once you get closer to that 100%, the emotion gets like a bit more intense. It is way worth it to just feel it all the way to the end and when you're at the end that's healing just like resetting that bone if you please pause for a brief intermission so as we were talking about with forgiveness yes going halfway 
doesn't work. You have to go all the way. And it's just like setting the bone. If you only re-break half of it, it's still not going to set the right way. So I, I can completely understand how it makes sense. You, you can't go halfway on forgiveness. Correct. And just healing in general. Like if you look at a bullet wound, right? Like you have to go in there and dig the bullet out. You can't, I mean, you can just put a bandaid on it if you want, but you're not actually going to heal it. It's the same with our emotions. Like you have to get in there, dig everything out, and then it can heal properly. Then you can heal properly. Um, so, you know, with the forgiveness stuff, like that is a healing practice. You're healing your heart. There's something in there that's hurting. So go in there, look at it, acknowledge it, let it out so that you can make peace with it. And, you know, literally like, it, like you said, it's like you, you sometimes have to like go up the ladder to get there. You might not be able to get to forgiveness right away. You might just have to sit with your anger and feel the anger and the hurt. You know, I'll write a letter to somebody. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> and then I burn it. That's a physical anchor of releasing that emotion. And that's, again, like, you know, back to the somatic pieces. Like, yes, I wrote it out. I felt it, acknowledged it. But like, let's really anchor this in. And maybe that's all I have in me you know, one week and a couple of weeks later, I can do it again and the emotions aren't quite as charged and I'm not as angry. Maybe there's only two fuck yous instead of eight. And I can get, you know, away from the anger a little bit and I might have to do it a couple of times depending on the situation, depending on what's, what's really there and how long I've been holding on to it. And then where it really becomes powerful, you know, yes, like doing those things, you start to free yourself. You're releasing that anger. But then when you're able to say, you did these things to me, I acknowledge it and I forgive you. And actually saying those words, whoa. And not only that, but forgiving yourself. Because a lot of times there's a lot of guilt wrapped up in it. It's like you allowed yourself to be in a situation where that person could do something to you. So forgive yourself. Don't be so hard on yourself. You're forgiving other people. What about you? It's the other side of the forgiveness coin. Yeah. And then once you say, okay, I forgive you and I forgive me. Then if you can say, I'm grateful for what happened because that's when it's really powerful. That's when you have completely alchemized the situation to be in your favor. Bringing it back to full circle with gratitude. That's next level gratitude that you can be grateful for something that you had to forgive someone for. Yeah, I think there's levels to gratitude, right? Like there's the easy low hanging fruit. And if you're not practiced in the art of gratitude, the low hanging fruit is all you got. You know, when I first started doing it and I was 
writing my 10 things on the train every morning, sometimes all I could come up with was, I'm grateful trains is, exist because they can get me to work and I don't have to drive in traffic. <laughs> I'm grateful I have two legs. You know, there's always something to be grateful for. And sometimes all you can muster up is, I'm grateful for the sunshine. <laughs> and that's totally valid. Like that is still gratitude. But once you become more practiced in it, you know, then you get deeper with the gratitude and you start, oh, I'm grateful for these people. And I'm, I'm grateful because of this. And when it, you know, you get to the next level and it's, well, I don't like this circumstance, but I'm grateful for it because, you know, I hate my job. However, I'm grateful that it provides me with money so that I can pay my bills and I have a nice place to live. You know, there's always something to be grateful for, you know, and then after that level, it's this situation really hurt me and I'm grateful for it because there are levels to that. And you probably can't access the deepest levels unless you've already gone through the first couple. And it, be, it becomes second nature if you consistently do it. Consistency is key. If you could go back to yourself at your lowest point in this entire five-year journey, what would you say to yourself? Love yourself more. Not only, hey, love yourself more. Like, you're not loving yourself. You're coming home and you're just trying to drink and you want to go out and party and do whatever. That's not loving yourself. Um, but love yourself more than you love him. Because I didn't for a long time. So in those moments where I was like, but aren't we going to do something for my birthday? Like, love yourself more, like do something for yourself instead. Love yourself more than you love him. Don't go out of your way for him. Go out of your way for you. Yeah, I think that's powerful. If you're, if you never do anything for yourself, you, you never prioritize yourself. I think no one else is going to do that for you the way that you're going to do that. Eventually, you have to be the one that steps up for you. Definitely. You can't guarantee that anybody else in your life is going to be there. You can only guarantee that you are going to be there. So you better make sure you have your own back. Whether that's when things get hard and you need support, or whether it's a moment where you want to celebrate, be the first person to do it. And through doing that, you're going to teach people how to treat you. The way you treat yourself shows people how to treat you. We're always teaching everybody else how we want to be treated. That one's huge. It starts with you. It starts with you. And then through the whole self-assuredness and authenticity and having courage, you start to stand up for yourself more and not even stand up for yourself, but set the boundaries and you start to tell people what you want, what you feel, what to expect. And those conversations become less scary because you have more courage. And again, it doesn't matter as much because you have a great relationship with yourself. So then you can say to somebody, hey, this is what I like. 
hey, I really love it when you do this, or I'd appreciate if you would do this more. Because if you never tell somebody, how will they know? If you don't tell them, how do they know? They don't. You're assuming. That's not fair. You know how hard it is to try to be great to somebody when you don't even know what makes them feel good? I heard, I came across a quote recently. I think it was something to the effect of unspoken expectations are promises of resentment and contempt in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like in unhealthy relationships or before you develop the ability to communicate and actually say things like you're just expecting things from somebody and you're like hoping that they're going to do what you want. But like we simply put, like we all have different love languages. So like you might love receiving gifts when I hate receiving gifts. I'm never going to give you gifts because I hate it. But that's not what you want. That's not what you like. You know, but if you're expecting me to give you gifts because that's how you like to be loved and I'm not doing it, you're not going to be happy with me. Not telling you is a great way to ensure that both of us end up unhappy later on down the road. Exactly. And like, it's so important to understand somebody else, pay attention enough to understand, but also ask them and then be able to express it from yourself. Like not communicating, not stating things kills connection. If you're not communicating, there's no intimacy. And if there's no intimacy, there's no connection. Damn. That's a good one. What advice do you have for other people that want to become coaches, especially empowerment coaches or some sort of women's coach? For those that want to follow in your footsteps, what advice do you have for them? Even if it's somebody who's not a coach, right? If it's just something that you're feeling in your soul, If there's a desire there, there's a reason that desire is there. Our emotions are a compass. They're always telling us something. They're always guiding us. They are a tool. So if there is something within you that's telling you that you are meant for more, you're meant for something different, listen to it. Because if you don't, it's only going to get louder and louder and louder. Like messages from the universe from God, they they come to us subtly at first. And if we don't listen, they become, at first it's like a little pebble, just like, okay. It's just like a little tap on your window. And then the pebble's hitting you. But then the pebble becomes a stone. And before you know it, if you don't listen, it's a boulder. And then like shit's falling apart because you didn't listen to the little signs. So when you get those little nudges, whether it's to become a coach, whether it's to switch careers, whether it's to go compete, whether it's to switch gyms. There's a reason why those little nudges are there and you should at least explore it and have the courage to look at it, have the courage to talk to somebody about it if you need some advice. You are fully supported. And the more you put yourself out there, the more you will see that support. And more generally speaking, what advice do you have for young people? 
mean, I think that's one of them. I think the advice that I told my, I would tell myself early on is another, like just love yourself more. Don't be afraid to be authentically you. Authenticity really is magic. It's an expander of yourself, of your connections with other people. You are going to feel better when you are actually yourself. And if people don't like who you authentically are, they can fuck off because they're not your people. I would rather have two people who love me for exactly who I am and they know the depths of me. They know my quirks and my 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 weirdo tendencies, but they love me for it than a hundred people who barely know me because I'm afraid to actually be myself. Quality over quantity. Ladies and gentlemen, Katie Hooven. Hey. <laughs> where, where can people find you? All over the world. <laughs> so on Instagram, it's just at Katie Hooven. I have a website, which will lead you to all things. It's katiehooven.com. Uh, email socials are there as well. We've got YouTube. I think we have a podcast coming. Additionally, uh, my best friend and I run a company called Grappling Getaways. So you can literally find us all over the world. We run jujitsu camps in epic locations. Um, we're doing a number of them this year. A lot of them are women's camps. So women support women's connections because women thrive in community. So we develop a really intimate, beautiful community at all of these camps we go to. And we do do some co-ed camps each year too. So for all the boys listening, <laughs> you can uh, do that. I mean, I, I teach seminars as well. So, um, you know, perhaps you'll even, if you're a jujitsu human, you might find me at your gym one day or you can bring me in, but it's all connected, katiehooven.com or uh, on my Instagram. Beautiful. Katie. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Always, Tech. This was so fun. Thank you for having me. And that's it for my conversation with Katie Hooven. There were a few things that really stuck out to me in this conversation. One, Katie talking about not being able to love yourself before you like yourself, before you actually know yourself. That and that our identities are not only found in the big details. But there's a lot of who we are that's found in the small details as well. And most of our lives are lived in the small moments, so it does make sense. And three, a big one personally for me, forgiveness is for healing. Not just the other person, but largely yourself. That's something that I've heard before, but that one really stood out to me in this conversation. If you made it this far, I would love to hear about the things that stood out to you most and your biggest takeaways in the comments section on YouTube. If you're listening on another platform, you can find a link to my YouTube channel in the description below. And as always, to support this podcast, please like, comment, subscribe, and most of all, share this podcast with someone that you think will enjoy it, as I believe that shares more than anything else will help me beat the social algorithms. Thank you for listening. And until next time.